welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Hey, welcome to episode 62 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. Hi, Rich. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing today? I am back in my office after a long Labor Day weekend of camping in the rain in Seattle at quite a high elevation and um, not managing to get a camping spot and so having to camp illegally halfway down the mountain next to a waterfall. Cool. Yeah. I didn't do a whole lot for my Labor Day and for those... For our international listeners, if you haven't heard what Labor Day is, it's basically, I guess, a day for laborers in the, the U.S. where you get a, a day off work. It's usually the first Monday in September. So um, if, you, if you're ever wanting a Monday off in September, just maybe tell your boss that I'm American and uh, I should get this day off. So let's see if it works. You know, let, let us know. <laughs> we, um, it, I mean, it's crazy because everyone's already gone back to school already. So the traffic in Seattle is just a nightmare now. And today, like a lot of the other schools go back. So half the schools went back last week. Some schools went back this week. So now, you know, the car parks full up in what the parking lot, as they call it here. The parking lots fill up and the traffic's just, just a joke unless you leave at 6.30 in the morning, which I don't do. Yeah, our school started, uh, I guess, I guess two weeks ago. And Wait, you guys go to school in Texas? We do, we do. That's cute. There's not car, it's usually horses that take the... <laughs> School, but but yeah we didn't um both my wife and i we totally avoided getting in a car and going anywhere on that first day of school we knew it was going to be a, a yeah. bit of a traffic nightmare everyone's just got their new suvs and people carriers and can't drive that's right yeah so um i think what this has done is it's spurred a bunch of americans who have had day off to blog a little bit so i know you've been on a tear but um what have you read out there this week what's the big news you think? Well, you know, there's there's been uh, a bunch of stuff. One that I was just reading this morning, which was kind of interesting, was um, using less styling in a SharePoint add-in. And I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, less is one of the things. It's kind of like TypeScript where, you know, I'd, I'd heard a lot about it over the years, but I really haven't done a whole lot with it until probably the last six months um, and really grown uh, grown excited about its capabilities and being able to use it in some of my development. So, um, it was cool to see uh, Sonia put together a, a post around how that might be used in an add-in. Yeah, Sonia's been doing a ton of this, and it's actually quite relevant in terms of the show we're talking with Umberto today around you know, different things like Bootstrap, and there's lots of different frameworks you can use to kind of achieve what you want to achieve from a UI perspective, and uh, this one's quite an interesting one for sure. Naturally, I think I'm not familiar with less actually i've not done much with that but it, yeah i mean it's kind of the same concept of typescript where it's, it's yeah. ultimately compiled down to css and lets you use variables and stuff so yeah it's pretty pretty cool yeah that's cool and then uh vipul kelka and i've probably really screwed that name up too but i reckon that's a pretty good attempt wrote a blog post uh beginning of the week actually on index web proxy bag using javascript object model um in angular js in sharepoint online so it's just showing essentially how you can get at the property bag using JavaScript, kind of indexing different values and how to add the properties there. And he's kind of got it in a nice little wrapper and he's binding those things out to a, a table directly on the page as well. And he's used gists in GitHub, which is quite nice too. So you can go and copy that code straight away off into your own, off into your own site. So the SharePoint property bag is an interesting beast. There's a lot of people that use it for variety of things the only memory i have of actually ever using it was i actually got a bit of a bind because i didn't realize that this was the case but it's readily available in sharepoint designer which means that any power user with contributor rights i believe i don't even think they have to be site owners can get into those property bags and edit them or add new keys and we've built this whole system leveraging that for kind of environmental variables and various other bits and pieces, just assuming the property bag was only really available via an API and um, got that wrong. I mean, this was in 2007 days, SharePoint 2007 days. But um, so just be wary of that property bag. Do, do you use it a lot much in your implementations when you're a consultant, Rich? Or You know, I, a little bit, um, you know, for like site-wide metadata, we'd use it for that. Um, actually... Yeah. I just learned that. I didn't know you could use SharePoint Designer for it. Of course, I'm 
I'm not a, the biggest user of SharePoint Designer, but uh, that's pretty interesting. But yeah, I yeah. Did for like site-wide metadata, that's about it. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting one. And um, I know a lot, of, a lot of teams, like when they're deploying kind of business solutions where it goes, drops into a team site, like they use everything they can in that team site as the building blocks. And so property bag is just one of those building blocks rather than creating a SharePoint list. And obviously SharePoint list is even more visible and can be done from the web UI as well. So just adds a whole other level there. Yep. And then talking about SharePoint as a platform, Andrew Connor wrote an article last week on the SharePoint is not a platform, it's a service. And uh, AC and my former boss, Deserter, <laughs> did a podcast that last, I forget what days they release, but episode 93 of the Microsoft Cloud Show, they actually did a podcast, a podcast on his blog. God, I got it out. And what was interesting was it kind of went into detail that I don't think Andrew covered well in written form. And um, so it's definitely worth a listen. And uh, I've been flicking this to all the engineering teams to get people's takes on it too, because it is quite an interesting approach. I think what you'll find is people agree with the fact, yep, it can be a service, but a lot of people agree that, yep, it can be a platform. And one of those people is um, Doug Ware. And Doug actually wrote a kind of a rebuttal blog post um, around that too. And uh, saying that there are a lot of benefits to using SharePoint as a platform and building within its user interface rather than beside it and using it as a service. And so that was that was quite interesting. And he also did some stuff on um, cross-plat cloud app compatible web parts using AngularJS and Bootstrap, which was, again, very relevant to what we're talking about in the show today. But um, just showing some of the things you can do in getting a lot of kind of stuff inside an app part directly using some of those frameworks and making the look and feel merge with the rest of the SharePoint UI. So definitely worth checking checking Doug's post out if you're not already. And he's on a tear because he did another one as well on um, using the SharePoint client object model and Angular JS apps as well and just showing how he can use you know some of the syntax sugar that you get with Angular with the client side um, SharePoint object model there as well and just kind of getting things rendered to the screen. So that was... He's in a very open sharing mind this week, it seems, Doug is. Although I did notice over the weekend, he was kayaking up a storm. So um, it's good to see some of these guys take a break from um, work. What else have you seen? Well, I tried to hang with Doug. I mean, he was a, a monster last week uh, creating content. But I did a couple blogs last week that might be interesting. One is, um, actually, we mentioned Andrew and, and CJ's uh, Microsoft Cloud Show uh, a few weeks ago, had Stuart Qualm talking about the new V2. It's kind of being called the V2 app model. I'm sure a, a better name will come about, but the idea is it it brings together um, ultimately like converged app and converged auth. So when I say converged apps, today if you wanted to build something that was both on the consumer and the commercial space, like maybe it talks to exchange online, but also outlook.com, you had to basically define two separate applications with separate permissions. And what we, what, what the Azure AD team has done is basically consolidated that where you can define one application, you can send users through a single OAuth flow. Um, and eventually we'll have single endpoints that you can go and hit to call services. So there was a, a great blog post, obviously go check out um, AC and CJ's talk with Stuart, but I did a couple blog posts on this. One was showing the key differences. So things like, you know, now you have to ask for refresh tokens. Um, you have to provide the permission scope uh, at runtime versus defining them ahead of time. And then I, I built a quick little Node.js application that consumes that consolidated app and flow. So uh, definitely check those out. That's kind of the it's kind of the direction we're going with the the APIs is we want to try to have a unified experience across consumer and commercial. So um, learn it now. It's it's something that's in preview, but uh, there's I would I would guess in the next three to six months you're going to see a lot more landing here. Yeah, I kind of say it's that journey of we're not shipping in three year cycles. We're shipping in quarters and in some cases even quicker. And and so over the period of us releasing this new. Office 365 service and having the endpoints kind of be very product centric, you know, outlook.office365.com and then sharepoint.microsoft.com, whack, you know, sites, whack, whatever your your APIs were. 
to then a unified API where it was all off of graph.microsoft.com and then now even further um, to rather than having different auth or work and personal, i.e. Office 365 or Outlook.com, you'll have one auth point that works for both and handles the logins a lot more gracefully. So um, it, there isn't much change transitioning between those three different steps and there's benefits of it once that all gets genuinely available and all of our endpoints support it. Right now it's just um, our Outlook Exchange endpoints, but um, OneDrive for Business is coming up quickly and uh, I believe SharePoint will be as well and you know the, the graph will too. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on because that, that is really the future direction of where we're going because we do want to make sure that we are much more similar to some of the other cloud first services that are out there that we've always had one identity they've always had one endpoint for all their apis and and so we're just trying to get a house in order there as we've moved from kind of more of a on-premise individual products perspective to a um, a, a single service running in the cloud that's for sure you know it's certainly been a, a bigger challenge for us than maybe some competitors out there like google obviously you know they've they've kind of grown more organically with some of their services. Whereas in, in our case with some of the office products, you know, these were very kind of separate, you know, server-based products, a consumer service. And so bringing all that together is, is pretty monumental. I think it's, it's a, yeah. it's a big deal. And we've learned a lot from that too. Like, you know, Google, Salesforce, that they're all very big. They've all got this notion of individual products within their service, but they do have a, a commonality of auth and one endpoint across and, uh, you know, we do a lot of research with developers on what they like and don't like about that pitch. And we've kind of introduced that there. And Stuart Kwan in that podcast does a really great job of explaining that in detail. And I know from watching your YouTube videos that are in those blog posts that we've put in the show notes, it's um, a great way of understanding how this works. And we should probably do a show specifically on that at some point too, as we get a bit closer down there with other services integrating Yep, for sure. And then um, Chax, our beloved... Visual Studio product manager that moved over or program manager that moved over into the SharePoint team. Perfect timing for him to move with um, Luca as well and Dan Kogan and Adam Harmitz and those guys on the, on the PG side because Jeff has come back and if I haven't mentioned this already in the show, which I think I have anyway, SharePoint is back and um, we're getting ready for some announcements on um, the future direction of the product. So although there's all this huge news around 2016, server there's going to be a ton of more around the direction of the product as a whole moving forward now that that um, jeff is back in the, the corporate vice president cvp role and so shax is on a tear from a development extensibility perspective and he took the visual studio project templates that come when you do file new sharepoint projects in visual studio 2013 or 2015 and he's built the provider hosted project so that it actually integrates with Office UI Fabric. So if you're doing, if you're starting any SharePoint projects from scratch with provider hosted, that's definitely something you should go and have a look at. But even if you're not, and you want to just see how to get that hooped into provider hosted, it's definitely a cool thing that you can go back and retrospectively plug in there too. And um, the dev div team, the Visual Studio team, Nicole Brook, Sean Library, are looking at releasing that stuff in in the future update of visual studio as well yep. which is pretty cool another one that was out this week that's pretty cool is um, ryan mcintyre he's actually in the dx organization he wrote a post about open xml sdk and how you can use that to help kind of facilitate building add-ins for word so i think anyone that's worked with open xml um, would probably admit it's not the funnest so to work with it's it's xml based but it's certainly can get kind of messy. And so um, he shows how you can use that OpenXML SDK to more easily uh, maybe generate some of the blocks of content or be able to maybe point to a document and see the OpenXML and, and hopefully help facilitate some development faster around some of that stuff. One other thing we did, we uh, there's a, obviously we do a daily, uh, or I'm sorry, a weekly um, Office Dev Show on Channel 9. Last week, the topic was on doing cross-platform mobile development with Office 365. So that's, we specifically did it on using things with Cordova, AngularJS, Ionic Framework. Really cool. Um, I, it's one of my favorite dev shows ever to do. It's actually one of my favorite topics using Cordova just because, you know, like Andrew was saying the other week, 
it's he he's really fallen in love with the concept of having one language that he uses from front end all the way to back end where you can use that same language javascript to build you know fully functional rich applications that run on any mobile device and so that's what that show's about so definitely check that out as well i watched that one i'll have to go and check it out and then we're going to be in the road a fair bit. Well, I know you're on the road a fair bit anyway, and I've dialed it back in the last few months, which has actually been quite nice since I've just got this new house to be able to be there at weekends and in the evenings rather than staying in hotel rooms. But in Microsoft's wisdom, we are doing a Microsoft Cloud Roadshow. And you can go to microsoftcloudroadshow.com and there's a list of the cities there that you can go. And it's a free event, two-day event agenda, and it covers IT Pro developer and end users. And it's not just Office 365 like it was last year where we had those Office 365 summits. This is kind of all up Windows, Azure, and Office. Uh, we have 12 sessions there uh, from a developer perspective. We've got some really cool guys that will be speaking at these events, including me and Rich at some of these. Dallas and New York and Toronto are kind of back-to-back the first week in November. Um, you can go and register now for those. And then Singapore is in December 7th and 8th. LA, end of January, 26th, 27th. Mexico City, Dubai, Bangalore, London are in February as well. And then Copenhagen's beginning of March. And then Hong Kong wraps it up March 10th to 11th. So um, a fair bit of traveling there. I'm probably going to get back to the motherland in London. It's kind of a bit disappointed we're not doing one in Sydney like we did last time. But um, that would allow me another trip back to Australia. But... Um, it's going to be a good event and we've we kind of nailed some pretty cool content for that rich like in terms of making sure we got the right balance based on what worked last year and what didn't and kind of levels of attendees and time frames and overlaps and stuff so i'm really looking forward to that event yeah i think it'll be cool especially kind of combining it with you know not necessarily being 100 percent focused on office 365 i think that'll open the doors up for a few things one is um, kind of some neat cross-pollination, if you will, where some like pure developers might come in and look more on the Office 365 stuff, and you might have some Office 365 developers get to spread their wings a little bit and, and maybe concentrate on things that are more pure around maybe Azure or Windows 10 or something like that. So I think it'll be good. That's going to be cool. And then there was a few more, but there was one I wanted to shout out because it's not mentioned in the show at all. I mean, I know we've talked about SharePoint Europe and Dev Intersections coming up this year because we've got some hackathons running at those. But um, there's another one which is in November that's uh, got a really good lineup of speakers. And it's something that Andrew Connor and Matt McDermott, who we've not had on the show, and we should probably get him on at some point because he's another good SharePoint developer MVP. Um, they're co-chairs of something called VS Live 360. I've actually spoken at these events before. Um, it's down in Orlando, November 16th to 20th. So it'll still be fairly warm down there in Orlando. It's covering both SharePoint and Office 365, but it's for developers, IT pros, and business users. And as well as Andrew and Matt McDermott speaking, Dan Usher, Paul Schaefline, Mark Rackley, uh, Brian Alderman, who we should also get on the show, Rob Bogue, and Jeff Fried as well, who's over at BA Insights, but used to be in this PMG group, in actual fact, a long, long time ago. So they're running a promo right now in September. Um, until the 16th that you'll save $400 in registration. So the hotel that it's connected to is Universal Studios. And when I was there as a speaker, I must admit, I didn't get over there. We did went over to the village. I forget what the village was, where the restaurants were. But a lot of the families went. And so the, the parents attended the event learning about SharePoint Office 365. And um, then they took the kids off to the... Um, Orlando for the the rest of it. So a lot of people were like winging it as a trip, as a bit of vacation, as well as um, a work study um, thing as well. So go check out the link. I'll make sure they're in the show notes there. But bit.ly slash LSPK16 underscore reg is where to go. I suspect that's the code to um, for getting the discount. And so that's a great way of um, getting that stuff going as well. So, um, yeah, definitely attend shows. is a great way of learning. It's a great way of networking. I enjoy attending just to get feedback from people on uh, in person because I think people are a little bit more realistic in person when they're talking to you in person rather than kind of yelling abuse over Twitter or Yammer or Facebook sometimes as unfortunately some people try to do. Cool. So um, your week, Rich, you're out and about all week or are you home for some of it as well? So I'm in. Uh, I'm actually in Ann Arbor, Michigan today and tomorrow, uh, working with some some of our uh, ISV partners. 
But uh, next week is Dreamforce uh, out in San Francisco. I hear it's like insane, like 140,000 attendees. So excited to go and spread the Office 365 developer gospel there. And uh, I'll be I'll be solo on the podcast for a few weeks. I'm kind of sad. I hear, you know, you're going to be off attending the brother's wedding and things like that. Yeah, my younger brother is tying the knot down in Australia. He's um, poor gets very busy at the minute attending or getting ready for attendance in his house because they're actually having the wedding in the backyard. And he decided it was a good idea to start knocking down walls and relaying felt on his roof and building a new deck. And it's been interesting. He does a lot of GoPro stop motion, just showing how it's how the work's getting. And he's only got less than two weeks. And I, I reckon we're going to be standing next to concrete uh, forming machines and um, saws and stuff. I think he's probably going to get the wedding party to start coming in earlier earlier and then the wedding just to kind of help him finish things off so that'll be interesting but he did have his bucks party this weekend just gone and i missed it i was traveling out for two weeks hoping that i could get there for this weekend when he was going to have it the weekend before but uh my younger younger brother oh my god he's in so much trouble whenever he gets married he had my brother dressed in a gimp suit like a full latex suit toed head to toe they hired a um I don't know, is, is politically, ter- is it dwarf? That's a politically correct term, right? Little person. Little person. They hired a little person and this guy was ripped. Like he must spend his entire life in the gym. And essentially he had a leash and the little person was walking, walking around. And my friends were just beating him up all day. And they had photos of him in front of all these famous places in Perth and they were on a boat drinking and yeah, it sounded like they had a really good time and fair play to him. There's no way you'd get me in a gimp suit. Not a chance. We'll see about that. No, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely get my younger, younger brother in one, but uh, yeah, no, I'm too old for that crap. But um, yeah, fair play to him for doing that this weekend. So the, the beauty of the internet was that Daniel kept sending me, my youngest brother kept sending me like updated photos throughout the day of what was going on. And it was just hilarious just seeing you know, the different stages of the, the Bucks party. Nice. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to going back. I fly out tomorrow on the I, – I told my girlfriend, you know, you do realize it's 31 hours door-to-door between leaving my current place and arriving at my parents' place, and she went a bit white. So um, plenty of films will be watched, and I've downloaded a bunch of stuff to my Kindle already. Cool. Well, safe travels, and uh, we'll uh, make sure we – the fort down yeah thanks man and uh, this is an awesome show too um, umberto is a really really smart guy and um there's a huge team behind this we had to pick one person to get on the show because otherwise it gets too crazy having like a panel on here but this is exciting and it's just got so much traction so um enjoy the rest of the show and i'm i'll see you in a few weeks but i'm sure they'll you'll hear from richard next week okay so we've got umberto on the show with us today uh welcome to the show umberto hey guys welcome yeah, we've got Rich. Uh, we're all kind of remote. We're in different... Oh, I mean, I'm in building one. What building are you in on campus, somebody? I'm in 35. And Rich, you're in building home in Texas. Uh, I'm in building garage. <laughs> <laughs> Surrounded by drum kits and guitars, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's easier to do these recordings when it's we're remote by just getting everyone to join a Skype call and recording it. So, um, so I appreciate you joining the tour on a Friday afternoon. We've got a nice long weekend here in, um, in America for Labor Day. So, um, what are you up to at the weekend, uh, Umberto? My family and I were going to the Evergreen State Fair just to spend some time with the kids, uh, rides, all stuff. That'll be a lot of fun. A lot of candy eaten yep. based on my experiences last year. Yep. We usually uh, leave the fair with kind of like a stomach ache from eating a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like being a food coma. Yep. Almost. And a ca- candy high. Uh-huh. So, um, how, how long have you been at Microsoft for? I've been at Microsoft for about eight years. Yeah, joined originally on the CRM team, and then I was on the SharePoint team, and then now I'm the Office Extensibility team. So, fun stuff. Cool. And program manager in each of those roles in engineering? Yep, program manager. I'm always working on the developer space, so super exciting. Oh, so you did extensibility in CRM, then in SharePoint, and now in Office? Yeah, so actually, oh, I was a guy that created their, well, not only the, the, the only guy, right, but 
they have uh, called something like uh, CRM solutions. So I work on that, and then I work on SharePoint apps, which is now SharePoint add-ins, and now most of my time I spend on Office add-ins. Cool. So is there anything like from the SharePoint space that you specifically specced up that people will be interested in? Yeah, so I expect the some of the licensing aspects of SharePoint, some of the APIs. I think one of the still most popular libraries that people use, which is the cross-domain library, which is, it was superseded recently by the introduction of, of course. But back then, course was not kind of like a standard. So we need to do something to enable developers from JavaScript to call to SharePoint. So we created the cross-domain library. So I was the guy that actually spec that out. And um, so just a lot of the time people ask like how, how the teams work, but you've got a good strong development side of what you do as well, right? Like you build a lot of things to be able to spec these things. You're not just writing Word documents and throwing them over the course <laughs> of the devs. No, yeah, so we're pretty technical in our team. So we write a lot of code. We actually recently actually for the project, uh, the latest project that we've been working on, so we actually write the, the actual developer interfaces that the APIs that the party developers are gonna use. So we do write a lot of code. I mean, we have a super strong developer team and we also have a really strong designer, the design, yeah, design team. So, but yeah, so we're pretty technical in this team. And um, what have you been working on most recently in, in the office space? In the office space, there are a couple of things. So one is the, which is, I mean, this is public, so it's about to release the, it's right now in preview, but the, Commanding, so commands for Outlook, which is about to release along with the rest of Office 16. So I work on that feature, so enabling Office add-ins to extend uh, the ribbon. And then more recently, which is the, the project that we just released this week, is the Office UI Fabric, which was developed by the OneDrive Design Studio, and I work as kind of like a release manager for that project. Uh, to get it out the door and make it that uh, open source. And Rich, you've used a ton of these add-ins in the Outlook space. I know for the build conference, you were doing quite a bit with that. Do you want to quickly talk about what you did with it, Rich? Um, you know, I mainly used, uh, you know, some of the, like being able to contextually launch an, an add-in. So, you know, one of the things that kind of comes along with these add-ins in Outlook is that today, if you create a read add-in in Outlook, it uh, kind of, pushes down your the mail that you're on, right? A, a read add-in is always contextual to an, an actual item that's in your, your inbox. And so, you know, if I have a, a mail, piece of mail that I want to view an add-in on, it, it in most cases will push the email down, sometimes to the point where you can't even read the email anymore. One kind of new iteration of that is um, what we would call um, actually having contextual link. So if you have like a regular expression, but what we're doing with these add-ins now is it can actually launch a read add-in in a task pane. And so what I did is, is help several partners uh, kind of refactor their solutions so that instead of being something that is, you know, across the top of an email, it's something that looks good as kind of a side panel in that task pane. And then, uh, you know, working with them around that. So I haven't worked with any of the more, what I would call the UI list type of commands that just run uh, script in the background, but uh, definitely excited, if anything, to be able to see partners have their brand show up in the ribbon. And so from a, uh, your perspective, Umberto, uh, just so people understand, there's like an office extensibility team and then there's the exchange team and the SharePoint team. And uh, the, the exchange team were the first to do the adding commands. I know you work closely with them on that. And then you're now saying that across Word, PowerPoint, Excel, we'll have the same type of functionality, right? That's correct. So we have all the, what we call the, the what we partner teams or product teams. So Outlook, Excel, Word, and PowerPoint. And then we have kind of like this central extensibility team, which is the, the team that I'm part of, which coordinates extensibility across all of Office. And um, particularly for the, uh, for adding commands, the way, the way we work together is that Outlook has some very uh, specific requirements and scenarios for the, for Outlook users, but uh, my team was the one to actually build all the infrastructure behind the command. So how do you, kind of like, uh, along with the Outlook team, we would define like the manifest, which is the XML that you create to tell us what to render on, on the ribbon, essentially. And then the actual runtime. So what happens when you click on those commands everywhere on the UI? How do we activate them? How do we run code behind the scenes uh, in a way that it's integrated with Office, but also in a way that it's safe, that it's sandboxed. So if something goes wrong with the adding, that it doesn't bring down any of the of the clients. 
so yeah, we work pretty closely. So the, for that particular feature, the PMs there were um, Andrew from the Outlook team, Wei also from the Outlook team, and then me. So we we were literally on a room with probably pretty much every day when we had the scrums, and there were about probably close to like 15 or so folks with three PMs and a bunch of other devs to get that one, that feature done. Yeah, it's been pretty cool to have that across all those different office clients and then obviously the different platforms too, right? So yep. we're not just intending to have adding commands across just uh, Windows right now, right? No, it's actually, it's uh, kind of like the, the whole value proposition of, of add-ins is that they work in all the different platforms that Office works. So right now, as you mentioned, it's only it's working in Outlook, but we're already working in Workzilla and PowerPoint for online clients, for the... Win32 clients, iOS clients. So everywhere where add-ins work, this feature is also going to work. So it's pretty exciting. And then in terms of like current stuff that you've just shipped this week was the Office UI Fabric. And um, yeah. you know, that's that's a big team effort. You mentioned the OneDrive design team there. Like that wasn't just Office accessibility that kind of helped with this as well, right? No, it was uh, actually the OneDrive team. They're the main design studio that created Fabric from the ground up. They partnered with us so that we could release that to the public. There are a bunch of other teams involved, like for example, internally, Fabric is used by the Delft guys, it's used by um, OneDrive, it's used by uh, portions of Exchange, it's used also by the Dynamics folks, the folks on the Dynamics uh, products, they also use in Fabric. And we expect a lot, a lot more teams to start to use Fabric. And um, so yeah, there were a ton. I mean, there's also the content publishing team that allowed us to create all the all the UI guidelines uh, around Fabric. All the program managers in in my team. There are also the some of the Azure folks that provide us feedback. The Visual Studio folks that are going to help with additional tooling experiences uh, for Fabric. So lots and lots and lots of people involved. But super excited that we just got it out of the door and it's open source, which is which is also great. And and so what is Fabric? What is Office UI Fabric? Office UI Fabric, it's a front-end framework so that you can create essentially uh, web experiences, web pages that look and feel uh, like Office. So all the effort and all the look and feel that lots of designers and a lot of folks here at Microsoft put into. We're giving that now to third-party developers so they can create Office add-ins, SharePoint add-ins, or 365 apps that look and feel like Office. So they don't have to worry about styling any of their pages or how to make like a button or a list or a drop-down look and feel like Office. They can just use Fabric and literally in a matter of minutes, they just get all the look and feel for Office, right? And it, it works great in irrespective of the type of adding that you're creating, you can just use it and off you go. So you don't have to worry about the look and feel. So one of the things you said I found really interesting, and it was also in the blog posts on uh, Office blogs, was that several of the different product areas within Office 365, and like you said, even Dynamics, are leveraging the, the fabric is... So help me understand the the process of going through and determining like v- various types of controls that ended up in there. Was it um, was it a case of you know when we have net new types of controls and styles they go there, or was there like actual refactoring of hey here's a great looking list let's make that to where other people can leverage it and kind of uh, reverse implement that. Well, the process was kind of a, a bit of a driven actually by our, the requirements of our own products. So we started by like, hey, we need to build this great UI for uh, for OneDrive, for Exchange, for Dell, for other properties. So we had a lot of of, this, of requirements internally in terms of how commands should look like, how buttons should look like. So we took those and and we also noticed, which is, has been a, a something like a trend all the time, that third party developers they wanted to have essentially the same look and feel. Right. The main argument is always the more cohesive their experiences that integrate with Office look as Office and feel like Office, the better it's for uh, for consumers, for end users, right? Because they, they actually like the, that look and feel. They are trained to use. They, they know how to work with Office. So uh, third parties always want to have the same look and feel. So we took essentially what we develop internally, which we use in our own products and, and, and just expose that to third parties. And it also happens that we also got a lot of help and a lot of input from the community. Uh, actually, having this 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 design language and this this set of of assets was one of the top ten requests in user voice for the past I think uh, year or so. So we just 
add, added it to, to Gear and said, like, hey, we have this great toolkit internally. Let's make that available to third parties so they use exactly the same stuff that we use. And that's how, how we ended up releasing Fabric. And so from a tech perspective, like that obviously we have had engineering teams use this internally. Was there a lot of review cycles that they went through just to get the Fabric happy within our own teams as well? A lot, right? So if there's one thing that uh, we're picky about, it's just the design. So there are a lot of design conversations in, in Microsoft and particularly within Office, right? Our products are used by billions of people. So there's a lot of review, a lot of cycles of just going and actually designing and deciding what the button should look like, what the font should be, what is the size. So it, it went through a lot of internal revisions for like to actually have something that we feel proud of using their own products and then uh, giving access to to developers. So yeah, so what I think that the 1.0 release of Fabric, what what you guys, uh, what the parties can get their hands on, it's. It's, it's the product of, of a lot of work from a lot of folks internally. So we're really, really, really happy that now third parties can just use that in, in their own add-ins. And, and so from that perspective, we'll see a lot more of this consistency across all of the products moving forward. Um, I've already seen, and we've spoken internally about this with uh, the SharePoint engineering team, but they're looking to do some stuff around this too. Yeah, absolutely. So the SharePoint team, uh, the Outlook team. So we're just going to see more and more and more of folks internally and externally just leveraging what we just what we just release. It's this is just really just the start. Uh, uh, we're super excited. So I've had a chance to to use the fabric um, for a few months now. Uh, one of the one of the favorite uh, features for me. Uh, I'm a big big fan of you know when I go to build like things that have like repeating um, elements. I found you know the, what you guys are doing around lists and tables and things like that are pretty amazing. So you know I've I've become a really big fan of things like being able to do, you know, check rows just really easy by adding like one div and one little class that says this is going to be a, a row check to where, you know, I can go select things. Is there a particular control or feature of the fabric that is a, a favorite of yours? For me, I think that the navigation controls, like the, the pivot control, and the, the navigation bar, I find myself using that a lot. But also as the one actually the, for the sample that we use for the blog post and the sample adding that we have right now out there on GitHub, one, one that I also use, which you just mentioned, is the, the list and the list item one, because it gives you all that look and feel. And as you, as you mentioned, we're just changing one little class. It goes from being like a selected item or selectable item or checked item. So it's really easy to tweak and really easy to plug into any other framework that you want to use. So if you, if, if developers are already using, I don't know, like for example, Angular, or they're using just pure jQuery UI or any other framework, you can just plug anything in there and just start using using Fabric on top. And, and what's the elements they need to get started? Like how would they take this into an existing project uh, and look, and kind of override the styling? It's super simple. So uh, we have getting started instructions in our GitHub site and also in our UX guideline, but it basically boils down to just have to re uh, add a reference to fabric.css or the main version of that, and also fabric components on CSS, and then you start using it. For icons, all you have to do is you add, you add an, uh, an LI item in, in, in HTML, and you use the appropriate class, like for example, like uh, the MS icon refresh, and then that just renders right as, a, as, an, as an icon, which is font-based, which is great, because you can scale the font, you can uh, recolor the font, and that, and that works. If you want to use some of the slightly more complex component, like for example the the search box or the or the date picker, then in addition to referencing the CSS files, uh, you also have to reference JavaScript files. The JavaScript files right now are not on the CDN, but you can pull them from the GitHub repo, and then you can tweak them to for your own needs. So once you reference the CSS files for the JavaScript files, it's just pretty much just just writing markup and and it just works. So there's work being done to, I think that was feedback from a bunch of people that we didn't necessarily want to grab this JavaScript and include them in our projects. We wanted to reference them from somewhere on the internet. That's correct. So the feedback that we've been getting is that, hey, we should just put those those uh, files on the CDN uh, so that you can just reference that. And we're definitely working on that. So we, I expect we're going to see improvements there in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I found interesting, and you said it just a minute ago, is that you know you can use this nicely with other types of javascript frameworks which which is something even even things like bootstrap sometimes have challenges with so 
you know, like if I want to use Bootstrap with Angular, I have to use a special version that doesn't conflict as much. And and this is something that I've been able to easily use with Angular. So something like that, that is, you know, much more, you know, kind of a data bound uh, approach. It's It's been really effortless for me. Great. That's great to hear. In fact, the, one of the design principles for, for Fabric was to be agnostic to the actual framework that you're using behind the scenes. You might be using Angular, you might be using React, you might be using uh, any other framework to actually do the, the data binding pieces and, and the communication with your backend system. And for this first release of Fabric, we, uh, the, the, the Wonder team, the Design Studio, they really wanted to focus on the look and feel, right? And you can use the look and feel of that on top of any framework that you wanted to do. Now, one of the things that we saw also as part of feedback that was almost immediate after we released uh, Fabric was that also developers want to have ready to use, for example, like Angular directives. So it's even easier to, to use Fabric if you're using Angular or if you're using React, have some React components for that. So we're definitely listening for, uh, for that feedback. And in fact, we're super happy because we just saw that there's another, this is a pilot project that one of the, the community members like Andrew Connell just started an Angular project to create Angular directives for Fabric. And we're super pumped about it. And, and we want to see that, that project grow too. And internally also too, we're also considering adding, adding more to that. But we're we're pumped that the community is already starting leveraging Fabric and creating their own projects on on top of that. And and we have this thing where we're a bit overloaded in terminology with Office. So Office means the client, as in Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, but it can also mean Office 365, and um, it can, to be honest, our division, which can include Exchange and PowerPoint uh, and SharePoint. So the official UI Fabric is not necessarily just for the use within Office add-ins, is it? No, no, it's actually meant, that, as you mentioned, that we use sometimes generically the word like Office add-ins, but it's really meant to be used in Office add-ins. You can also use it on, on SharePoint add-ins. You can also use it if you're just creating uh, what we call like 365 apps that you can launch from from the, uh, what we call the Waffle internally, like the app launcher for 365. So any web experience that integrates with Office, right, that, that essentially is extending Office in the eyes of the customer, you can use Fabric on on that experience, and that's going to give you that that office look and feel that it's it's both modern, but at the same time it just rightly fits within the the office experience. So one of the big questions we've had on the blog post that went out on Monday, uh, which got a lot of traffic and a lot of interest on the social networks, and I think you know from the starring perspective on GitHub, it's now the most popular repo in Office Dev yep. organization, um, which is brilliant. It just really does show that there was a ton of demand and there was I think, 240 uh, upvotes on user voice for this this type of thing. Is How does this compare to other things that Microsoft are doing? So one of the big ones in the blog post was, how, how does this compare to something like WinJS? It's it's very similar in terms of like technology with WinJS, but in terms of actual usage. So we, we created Fabric from the ground up with, with Office in mind, right? And Office, it's... Uh, you see it's Office in all different platforms. So there is Office versions for iOS, there's the online version, there's the Android version, there's the universal version of Office. So uh, Fabric is meant with that uh, Office uh, mindset. Uh, it's built with the Office mindset from, from the ground up and thinking about cross-platform, thinking about productivity experiences. So it's really tailored for, for Office experiences. Now, there is nothing preventing you. In fact, I mean, uh, people can just readily try this out and it will, just, it will work just fine. Nothing preventing you from using other frameworks, not only like WinJS, but you can also bootstrap them. You can combine them and Fabric is assigned to play well with those because there is gonna, there's not going to be any conflicts uh, on classes, for example, uh, because Fabric has its own its own classes. So it, it's really about the, the making sure that we had an option for developers, specifically for Office developers, that they could leverage and it just really embodied the the office design language and so where one of the core things that we've also seen is that our kind of document writing and content publishing team have actually taken a bunch of our existing office add-ins that were shipped I guess three years ago if you look on code.msdn.microsoft.com and they've kind of reworked those things now and leveraging the Office UI fabric. And it's, it's really interesting to see the difference in perception of those add-ins compared to when they didn't use fabric. Yeah, it's actually amazing. Actually, the 
I mean, you, Jamie, you were there, but yesterday we had an internal event, just kind of like an all hands, to show some of the the progress of of the things that we've been working on. And one of the things that uh, I was really surprised, I mean, was to actually showing those new samples that we're getting out there and those retrofitted samples, uh, how different how those those sightings look, and they just look cleaner, they just look modern. They, they actually look that they fit right within office, just because they are now using fabric. And it's not that they actually had to rework a ton. In many cases, the add-ins were relatively small in terms of like complexity. I mean, they have a couple of buttons, like drop downs, and a couple of navigation elements. But now, just by virtue of just using fabric and and adopting that uh, look and feel, they just look so much better. And in fact, the one adding that that was shown that was still not using uh, fabric, right? Because they uh, we just released that, and they're still catching up on 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 adding fabric on top of that particular sample. It was the one standout for me. That I was like, huh, this actually looks it looks kind of like out of place now. Now that we have all these other nicer looking addings, uh, and the one that was not using fabric, it, it really stand out for me as like, hmm, it doesn't really quite fit with Office. So. So yeah, you're right. I mean, the, just just using it, I mean, it just makes it so much better, so much more integrated into the Office experience. Right, and you know, I can code myself out of a paper bag, kind of JavaScript-wise, and get Office add-ins working. But I'm no designer, and so I, I've already found Fabric for me makes a huge difference in terms of perception. And um, already we're seeing a lot of our partners that are building in the Office Store wanting to use the Fabric in not just Office add-ins, but SharePoint add-ins, and also inside of the web applications they launched from the app launcher to just give that professional fit finish, use the same fonts that we do, so that there isn't this immediate like kind of, it's just a bit of an eyesore when you open up an add-in and it doesn't do things like capture the theme of the the office client or it's not using the same fonts and color schemes that the office client's living in right now, whether you're in a, a browser or you're in the Windows desktop or the Mac desktop or the iPad device yeah i think on the on the extreme case we actually have seen some addings like that it, it looks it looks like like a web page kind of like you just cramped into office and obviously we don't want that but when you start using fabric on on top of of your addings it just looks and feels uh, great and in fact one of the of the kind of like the jokes that we had internally is that we're actually comparing some of the third-party addings that folks were actually building using Fabric with some of actually our own internal functionality that uh, still hasn't used Fabric because, I mean, we're catching up on, on all of our experiences to actually also use Fabric. And it was just so striking that actually the third party one that was using Fabric, it just, it just looks so much better. Right, it just looks so much cleaner. So now, now that's why we have this really big push both internally and externally to just have this adopted like pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and, and one of the things you did in a demo yesterday, and I really wish I could disclose half the stuff that was shown in that meeting. I was jumping around at the excitement going, this is going to be so cool to announce half the stuff. And I love those internal meetings where all the engineers get to kind of show off what they've been working on. And man, there's some stuff we're going to be able to show in November this year. Like, it's crazy. But one of the things you showed was like growing the add-in in uh, the Word client and showing how the components changed. How have we done that? What what have we done with responsive design to make that w- just kind of handle all that stuff? We're just adding those style hooks into your HTML. Right. Well, the, one of the things that that Fabric um, was built with um, uh, from the ground up from, uh, for was the mobile devices, right? So this notion of like responsive design. So pretty much every single uh, component in Fabric has a responsive uh, element to it, so that if you as your viewport grows or shrinks, the components in Fabric respond to that. So the couple of things that I show on the meeting, which was, uh, it's already built on the, on the Fabric component, was like the least view. So the fact that as you run out of space, the actual text, for example, instead of just like chopping on the right, as you start shrinking your, your task pane, I was showing an adding in a task pane. If you do nothing with, uh, with your standard text, it will just chop, right? And you, you, you cannot really see like any overflow. But with the, with the components in Fabric, I mean, it actually starts nicely scaling down to the point in which automatically adds like ellipses at the end. The same goes for the for the drop down. So if you start shrink, shrinking the drop, the drop down, then it actually, uh, for example, in a touch device where the real estate is really small, when you use that drop-down component there, it actually just expands automatically so that you have like this nice, big, fat, touch-friendly component that you can just use your finger to actually manipulate. And all of that is just built in into Fabric already using CSS styles and media rules. So developers really don't have to worry about it. And also comes Fabric also comes with a responsive grid 
that you can use to actually do your layouts and, and have them adapt to, to the real estate available. So that just kind of built into Fabric already, CSS, media rules. You know, one of the things that I think is pretty significant about this, in addition to just the being such an accelerator for developers that are building uh, different add-ins or even standalone applications that they want to have a, a nice office feel to it, is I think the community aspect of that of this, and you you mentioned some of the side community efforts that maybe Andrew Connell are doing, but it, but just the fact that this is on GitHub, I think, is pretty significant uh, for Office at least. I know that some teams like uh, Azure AD they've put a lot of things. All their ADAL libraries are on GitHub. You know, really from an Office dev standpoint, a lot of what we have in our GitHub repo are like samples, like showing people how to build things. And this seems like a, a pretty significant departure from that. Um, we'll, maybe talk about that a little bit and, and how um, the teams within office engineering are, are kind of shifting and embracing some of these other types of uh, ways of getting information to communities. Right. So it was actually um, one of the biggest points of conversation where we were thinking about releasing these to third parties. In fact, I said in like, honestly, I don't know how many meetings with uh, folks and particularly with our LCA department, those are our, our lawyers, right? To make sure because from uh, motivation and from a, a goal target point of view, on the engineering side, we we absolutely just wanted to get this out of the door and make that this, this open source to enable the community, just take advantage of that, change it to make it better, and also to help us contribute, right, uh, uh, some of the aspects of, of the framework. So we all, we were always on the mindset of, hey, we want to get this uh, to be, we want make to make this open source. But as you guys probably aware, usually there are like concerns with like the IP rights of, of the things that we put in open source. So traditionally in this area, sometimes we've been a, a little bit too cautious to actually open source some things. But this time around, we just thought it was like a so such a prominent uh, project for us. And we really thought that developers could really benefit from, from using it and adapting it to their own needs. That we just decided to, to go and do all the necessary processes to, to get this out the door as, a, as an open source project. So, and I think that um, you're going to start seeing that a lot more often in, in, uh, in general in Microsoft, but particularly now in Office. In fact, I wish I could disclose this, but I can just share share my excitement right now with you, but I cannot give you the details. But there's actually a lot more coming from from Office in the next couple of months in terms of like open source uh, projects. That so all I, can, all I can say right now is it's a stay tuned. But this this mentality of like just getting out the door with the same code that we use internally and giving that to developers so they can grow and create add-ins and just experiences that are powered by Office that use the same tools that we use, that's kind of like the, the, the standard, kind of like the norm. And we were super happy that we we're kind of like placing the trail. But now, actually, the, the moment we released that, it, it was it was exciting. And at the same time, it was a bit overwhelming just to see the, the response. Because even internally, after we released the, the, the Fabric project on, on Monday, my inbox got flooded with emails from other teams asking us to to meet with us to learn on how to replicate this project and to also contribute to the project and do more things above and beyond what we just released. So that was super exciting to see. Well, thanks for um, keeping us all in suspense for the things that are coming up. <laughs> I, I was out on GitHub right now and I, I see that, that it already has, just since Monday, and it's Friday, um, it already has 101 forks, and I'm sure some of those are internal, but you know that's pretty impressive, I think, just for the short time that it's been uh, public. Yeah, it's, it has. I think the internal folks is probably out of those 100, I think that about like 15 or so are internal. Oh wow! The rest are actually, uh, I think they are external. So yeah, that that's it's pretty cool that folks are actually cloning it, forking. We actually already got a bunch of pull requests, some from external folks that we actually already incorporated in, in some of the pieces of fabric and the documentation. So yeah, it's great to see that folks are getting engaged. There's so many ideas, not only for for actually the like code fixes, but also even in terms of like suggestions about like styling, about other technologies that we should be looking at. Like for example, I mentioned like the need to have like Angular directives or like React components. So 
yeah, it's super exciting to see that folks are really getting engaged. And one other thing that came up with all these kind of GitHub repos is that this isn't just us throwing something over the wall and forgetting about it, right? Like you've got investment from your engineering teams to maintain this as an open, a true open source project. Absolutely, yeah. So as I mentioned, the the OneDrive team, the design student OneDrive that created Fabric, they're actually, actually, those are the guys you probably, you can see this in, in, in GitHub, but the, there is Peter. Peter's kind of like the, the brains behind Fabric, he actually proposed Fabric to begin with and has been kind of like the one of the main contributors to to the project. So Peter, Andrew, I mean their their GitHub names are interesting. For example, I think the Peter, no Peter is Peter is okay. I think it's just Peter uh, Pjan or something like that in, in GitHub. Andrew's uh, GitHub name, I think it's like not Andrew. There is a John, his name in GitHub is super funny. It's like battle toilet or something like that. <laughs> Something really weird. Uh, mine is uh, Lisa Max. So uh, those, I mean, we are the guys that are actually uh, working on this and we're monitoring the issues and we're fixing stuff. And you probably can already tell this by just looking at the forks that are already there. But there's already a, a 1.01 release in the works. I'm actually meeting in about 30 minutes with that team to talk about Fabric 2.0. So. Yeah, so this is uh, totally an effort that we are going to continue to invest it. It's definitely not something that we just threw out there and expect the community to take over for completely. No, that's absolutely not the case. We are, we have a lot of people behind behind this effort. Is there any is there any like internal guidance that when new UI experiences need to be developed inside of Office? So let's let's just imagine that maybe Sway is not yet released, and Sway's they've decided that this is going to be you know, uh, a new uh, suite application. Um, is there any guidance that says, hey, if you're building a, a, a front-end experience, you know, you you need, to, if you're building anything new, it should be a part of uh, the fabric? Yeah, it hasn't been there up until a couple of, of months, but now that's kind of like the, the, the standard. So say, if you're building a new experience, I mean, fabric should be your the de facto uh, framework that you should look into. Again, part of the surprise that I cannot talk about it, it's, it has to do with some 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 of that. But yeah, so that's that's definitely the direct. And in fact, a lot of this has been not only from like, oh, you shall use Fabric. It's been more organic, I think, in, in that respect, in which is like teams actually want to go and build it. And just like third parties, teams, they, are, they, are, they want to get out to market fast, right? They don't want to have to go and rebuild everything. They want to reuse as much as possible. And particularly on the UI front, um, they just want to reuse, they always want to, look and feel like Office and they want to be consistent. So the de facto, the de facto option nowadays for any Office-related project is like, hey, just use Fabric, right? So we have this out there, uh, both internally and externally, you should just use that. So that that's what we're seeing uh, with internal teams. They just, it's a de facto answer nowadays. And just to kind of go on from that, you mentioned the guidance near the beginning of the show. I mean, it's part and parcel of this, like as you're providing the guidance and how things should look and like kind of, you even go to the detail of like, almost like how your app add-in should look in within the task pane and, and so forth. Has that come from experience? Like, is that stuff that you've seen where you've been kind of giving guidance to ISVs and partners in one-off scenarios and just kind of pushing that back up the chain and, and leveraging it? Uh, no, not really. It was just me and my designer going into a whiteboard and just figuring something out. So like, yeah, this looks right. Uh, no, not really. No, yeah, of course, it comes from... Um, <laughs> I was like, what's he saying? <laughs> <laughs> what is he saying? No, no, absolutely not. So it actually comes from experience. So we work uh, very closely with, with a lot of partners. Right? So each one of the PMs on, on my team works with uh, dozens of partners in a, an, almost on an everyday basis. And we see kind of like the patterns that we see. For example, to give you a very concrete example, uh, for the task pane, you will notice in our guidelines that it actually has like an optional header at the top where we are encouraging um, uh, third parties to put their brand on. In the original version of those guidelines, and actually there was a lot of debate internally in our team, because if you look at the task pins that we ship with Office, there is no such header on, on the on the task pin, right? It's just, it's just all about content. So we debated a lot and said like, hey, we should really not encourage people to put their brand in there. That is not what we want. We want all of it to be about the content and about the functionality. But then, and that's actually how some of the first versions of the of the guidelines uh, were authored. But what we actually saw on experience is that 
that was really not realistic, right? What we were actually seeing is that a lot of ISVs, they will, they, will, they will still put their branding and they will do so even in ways potentially even more intrusive. So it was not realistic to just ask uh, third parties like, hey, don't, don't have branding, right? Just like, just focus on the content, just kind of like hide your branding. It, it was... It was not good for them. It's ultimately not good for users, right? Because branding is an important aspect of, of the trust and the quality of, of an adding, right? It's, it's, it's important. So for the revision of the guidelines, we took a much more realistic approach that was based on experience and said like, hey, look, let's, let's realize that we need to give folks a place where we can recommend them to put their branding. So that's what we did in the guidelines. You can actually see that in the top header portion of the adding, we actually tell you like, hey, this is optional, but if you want to have branding, this is where you should put it. This is where we recommend you to put it. And it's actually a pretty generous uh, amount of space. I think it's like 80 pixels or more, which is in the context of a task pane, it's, it's, it's pretty big. So it's, it's, it's a good enough space for ISBs to showcase their brand whilst still having adequate canvas to actually have the main functionality of the adding. So. Yep, it's, it's been uh, based a lot on experience. And in fact, as we learn more about how developers are using Fabric and what are the gaps that we might still have in terms of components or guidance, we're just going to be listening and retrofitting that guidance back into, into our, our documentation. And um, so when we go to the store, like those partners, there is a quite a strict validation process for the quality there too, right? And so they'll take into account that guidance. And so it'll be easier for us to kind of refer partners to that guidance to make sure they are consistent so that you don't open one add-in it looks very different from another. Right. So, uh, but the nice thing is that uh, I guess in the past, we also had some, uh, we had validation in place, but it was, um, the message wasn't, it was not as, as productive, I would say, because we will tell you like, hey, this just does, this is not consistent or, or, or it doesn't look right, but we didn't actually give you the assets to make it right. Now, the answer is, is much more different, right? Like we can actually tell you and suggest you like, hey, be more consistent here, be more consistent there, there, like improve the quality here. But, and by the way, here's actually this toolkit that is just pretty much like plug and play that you, if you use this toolkit, you're going to be compliant because that toolkit embodies the, the design that we want you to follow. Cool. So we've got a lot to look forward to, I guess, in terms of um, where this is going as a, you know, as we, we learn from the community. And if people have feedback, what's the best way to loop people in? Like, where, how do you want to hear from them? I'm, I'm assuming, like, I don't like emails direct. Where, where's the best place to drop your feedback? I think that the best place is uh, uh, if it's specific about the, the fabric or additional UI components directly on GitHub. We monitor that every day. We look at uh, look at the issues and we assign people right away. We try to respond right away. So in the GitHub project on the issues section, that's the best best way to provide feedback about the project itself. If you have additional feedback about like just in general like features for the for the Office platform for Office add-ins or SharePoint add-ins or or 365 apps, and we have user voice, and and that's the best way to let us know about new uh, requests. So those are the two channels that I will that will ask folks to use to get in contact with us. And as I mentioned, I mean, the, the folks that you see on the GitHub, that's actually, those are the folks that we are internally managing this project. So there's really no intermediaries there, which is good and bad. I mean, it scares or, or, or some of our marketing folks like, like Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's actually the product team talking directly to, to you guys, to all the developers. I, it was actually quite funny. I, I felt totally, like almost, almost ostracized in that meeting yesterday where every engineer is doing their demos and after each demo, <laughs> everyone's like, woo, yeah, woo. And then marketing goes up there, i.e. me, and does a quick four-minute pitch on the Yeoman generator. And it was like stone silence until the end of the <laughs> demo. I'm like, are we really treated so differently being in marketing? <laughs> I often wonder if it's because they feel like I'm taking all the credit by being the outbound person talking about these things. But No, no, I don't think so. It's, uh, it's a funny experience being in the role we're in. Honestly, I think that particularly the silence was just to, they were just absorbing everything that you were telling them and kind of like, because we now know that uh, web developers, this new breed of web developers, they are console console based, right? They just want to have command line tools to get them getting up and, um, and going really fast. But um, that was not like that, right? Um, just a couple of years ago, it was still about like this developers that like more like uh, GUIs and like wizards to create everything. So I think that part of the, what you saw there was just like people really internalizing the fact that, hey, this is a different world and uh, uh, obviously you wanna be part of that world and you're starting to see that with all the projects that we put that, that now uh, out the door, so. 
I think that's why that was that you got some some of the silence. Yeah, and actually, um, uh, we actually checked commit. I say checked in. I feel old school saying that about source control. <laughs> we committed, um, uh, and we accepted a pull request today for the Office UI fabric built into that Yeoman generator. Cool. So now, if you go and use a Yeoman generator, the Office add-in project has all the links to the CDN, um, CSS files straight out of the box, which is pretty neat. Yep. Yeah. So all our samples, all of uh, getting started samples from deadoffice.com. The when uh, uh, we're also revving up or 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 samples or templates for Visual Studio. Yeah, I saw that email today, so that'll come out in the next update, which is great. Yep, yep, everything we're doing. And I also did notice Shax, who was on the Visual Studio team, but is now kind of snucked over to another engineering team inside the SharePoint extensibility side. Yep. Um, he's going to have a busy six months based on the meetings I've been in with him. But <laughs> he he just took the output of what Visual Studio provider hosted SharePoint add-ins uses and tweaked it to use the um, the Office UI fabric. And it looks amazing. Yeah. Like the difference in the look and feel is so cool. It's striking, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. So if you're starting a new provider hosted SharePoint add-in right now, go and grab that from GitHub and it's on Shax's blog and I'll make sure the links are in in the show notes for this this podcast right and it's the one, one thing that i love about like this new new world so to speak is that just the velocity to which we get things out the door yeah i mean of course we want to update our, our official tools and we're going to doing that but sometimes it might take a bit a bit more time that we will want to but in the meantime i mean we the, the community is not blocked right we just we just get it done we put it out there and and the community can just take advantage of that like right away you don't have to wait weeks, months for something just to, to get going. Absolutely. Right. Well, I'm going to let you get off because it is Friday and it's crawling up to everyone wanting to escape for the long weekend, I'm sure. And Labor Day weekend. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Especially over there in those engineering buildings. You know, you guys don't get in till 10 and you leave at four for sure, right? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I really appreciate no, you coming to the show and um, we'll definitely have to get you loot back um, to get a bit of an update on where this stuff is going in, uh, you know, maybe three, three or six months time depending on what goes on yeah yeah absolutely uh, i would love to chat with you guys again great well enjoy your long weekend and uh we'll we'll get you on the show soon okay cool thank you thanks a lot bye thanks for listening guys and girls make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources you can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one year three developer tenant to stop building against the office 365 platform we're always here to chat with you on the office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office 365 dev podcast jam or you can follow us on office dev on both twitter and facebook so until next week guys get coding